Okay, folks, welcome, welcome, welcome to this session. Um, we are really thankful to have all of you here, and we're especially thankful to our esteemed guests uh, to my right-hand side. Uh, we're going to kick off, and you're going to be able to ask some questions, and, and Lisa is going to be asking some questions of everybody that's here. Oh, there you go. Steve's doing a, Steve's doing a selfie already. Everybody wave. Everybody wave. Yeah, excellent. Good man. Excellent. It's not real unless it's been put online. It's not actually real. My name's Andy Flanagan. Uh, I'm the exec director of Christians in Politics. And even though I talk like this, I actually do live over in England now. Sorry about that. Um, and, uh, and then also chairing today is Lisa Whitten. And I'll let Lisa in introduce herself. Uh, I'm Lisa Whitten. I am a postdoc researcher in uh, politics at Queen's, which basically means I'm just a professional geek about politics. And I'm excited about being able to talk about it for another hour um, today. And I've been coming to Summer Madness for as long as since I was 11, I think. And we're going we're gonna to let our esteemed politicians introduce themselves. And I'm, we're going to just go to my right. I'm not saying to my politically right, but to my right uh, is, uh, is, uh, is Sean. And so, Sean, would you just give us, a, give us a paragraph or two about yourself? Well, I think that's the first time I've been called esteemed in, in five minutes. That's, <laughs> thanks very much. <laughs> or right, yes. Um, my name's Shamal Holland. I am the newest MLA on the block. I became an MLA on the 1st of April. It was not an April Fool's, I found out. Um, I'm the Alliance MLA for North Antrim, so for this area. Um, and I am a former youth worker. That kills me to say former. Um, I think once a youth worker, always a youth worker. So, yes, former youth worker. And I have two kids and one on the way, so quite busy. Um, but, yeah, so that's pretty much my... My introduction, anyway. Hope I don't strangle you this, Sean. Um, it's great to be here. My name's uh, Pete Johnson, and I'm a councillor in Mid and East Antrim and a former mayor. Uh, I have two kids, uh, age two and five, um, so I relish the opportunity this afternoon to get <laughs> a couple of hours out of the house and... Uh, and answer a few questions, so <laughs> don't, don't tell my wife that. Okay. Hi, I'm Steve Aiken. I'm the member of the Legislative Assembly for South Antrim. I'm in the Ulster Unionist Party. I deal with finance, Brexit, and all sorts of other interesting things, including sort of the climate emergency. I have four daughters. I'm intensely interested in women's issues and women's rights. And I've got two grown-up daughters and the two young ones, and I offered them the opportunity this afternoon to come and uh, see the tents here, and they turned it down. So uh, they'd rather go swimming in Ballymena, but there we go. Thanks very much, folks. Just to set a wee bit of a context, um, we're going to show you a video at the start about how the worlds of religion and politics don't always flow together so beautifully and kindly. Uh, so... Sit back and relax and enjoy, hopefully. So it's our desire to really encourage and bless everybody that's here to say thank you for being here. But, you know, it's a tough job, especially at the minute. And uh, we wanted to, more than anything else, just say thank you for the job that you guys do and thank you for the effort you make. And, yes, I'm sure this afternoon there will be some questions of people that it will be provocative and will ask you some tough questions. But more than anything else, we wanted to say thank you. And thank you for the service that you give that's so often not thanked. And you get very little thanks for the job. So thank you. 
uh, for what you do. And we want this journey to be something that is supportive to you and encouraging and informative to you and not just something that happens this afternoon. Can I get an amen? Amen. Absolutely. So the first question we wanted to ask um, all of you, actually, is, and, and we're going to try and keep you to, you know, para, you know, paragraphs rather than, you know, long essays, <laughs> if that's all right. Yeah, good luck. But um, is, is actually why you got into politics. What, what, what was the kickstart? What was, what was the genesis of this for you guys? I'll start, start with Shan, just because it's easiest. I really picked the wrong site. <laughs> Um, I come from a very non-political household. Um, my mum was a nurse, dad was a fisherman. There was absolutely no talk of politics in the house. Um, my mum's nickname for me when I was in my teens was Shan Geldof. For anybody young enough to not remember Live Aid, um, Bob Geldof was the person who started Live Aid and did lots of fundraising. I hate that I have to explain that. Um, but yes. <laughs> out of context so yes I wanted to change the world that was what my parents said so for me it was politics with a small p um a teacher called me a rebel with a cause because I always had a petition of some sort or some kind of campaign that I was um trying to draw attention to when I was in school but it wasn't until I got into youth work um in my adult years that I felt I'm encouraging all these young people to get involved in their communities and get involved in politics while I'm at home shouting at Nolan and shaking my fist at, at the things that are happening. So I suppose for me, that was the, the genesis. But at the heart of all of it, because I didn't study politics, wasn't something I was brought up with. For me, it just comes from, I suppose, the same values that led me to youth work, led me to politics. It was just that desire to make something better, to, to make my community better. I, if you'd have told me 10 years ago, 14 years ago when I joined the Alliance Party, that I would be sitting in front of you as the MLA, I'd have told you that maybe you had sunstroke or some kind of um, <laughs> madness, yes. Um, this wasn't in my journey, it wasn't in my plan. Um, so I call myself an accidental politician. I'm definitely, definitely was not um, what I set out to do. But yeah, just I suppose to make things better. Yeah, um, uh, probably not too dissimilar. Um, and I, uh, I suppose, stum semi stumbled into the the role of a of a councillor, um, and was unashamedly at the bottom of a very long list of those that they'd asked to do it. And I suppose, as a young person, you know, I I would have been the first to criticise when I didn't see things were were going well in my town or if I thought something could have been better or you know if I seen an area where I thought goodness that is that's that's a shambles or you know why did that person do that you know so I I was always that that person and so when the opportunity came up I sort of thought well it would be slightly hypocritical of me to on one hand be that guy that has all these opinions about how things could be done so much better but at the same time not be willing to put my name on the ballot paper and so there was a by-election in uh, in my hometown, uh, Carrick Fergus, in 2018, and um, I, I, as I say, long list of names of those who didn't want to do it. Um, they came to me, and I, I said no originally. I, you know, I was still very young, still feel young, um, but uh, I, I was new to politics. You know, I didn't really, you know, I said, look, let me get my feet onto the table. It's, it's not for me. They came back again and said, look, Pete, we don't really have, make, will you be willing to do it? And I spoke to my wife who, um, who said, under no circumstances am I, uh, am I to get in, involved with politics. Um, and then uh, third time round, I think it was the day before the papers needed signed, I, uh, I just thought, well, 
I'm probably not going to win. This will give me the kudos to have um, a bit of an opinion and, uh, and be mouthy again. And so I put my name in the ballot paper and I suppose the rest is history. But um, uh, I have to say, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I don't actually see, I don't really feel like a politician, if I'm honest, um, and, and the stuff that I do day to day. Um, but uh, even with the difficulties and challenges, um, I'm uh, still, still enjoying it. So that's led me to here. Um, I'm the classic example of you hear everybody who leaves Northern Ireland, they never come back. Well, I came back. I left a long time ago to join the Royal Navy. I spent 30 odd years in the Royal Navy. I was a nuclear submarine captain, served in all sorts of not very nice places around the world. I left the service and then worked in Dublin for five years. I was a chief executive, uh, a fairly uh, chief executive of a chamber of commerce and then chief executive at a university. But things were so expensive. I love Dublin. You know, I really I would love to be able to afford to live in Dublin, but I couldn't. So we moved my family back. I had a young family then. I had two ki young kids under the age of uh, two at the time. And I started complaining about the state of the health service, the state of the education system, and everything like that. And my wife said, stop complaining about everything. Go and do something about it. And funnily enough, a guy called Mike Nesbitt said exactly the same thing to me. And says it's while people like you are sitting around complaining about everybody, unless you actually get off your backsides and go and do something, nothing's going to change. So I took that challenge, but first of all, I discussed it with my wife. And I said, look, I'm having a real crisis of conscience here. Uh, I'm either going to do one or two things. Um, I'm a committed Christian, so I'm either going to go to the church and take the ministry or become a politician. And my wife's a preacher's daughter, and she turned around and says, you're not going to be a minister, you're going to be a politician. <laughs> and then I stood uh, at the assembly election. I didn't expect to get elected. We stood three candidates in South Antrim. I was the sweeper. I ended up getting elected, and the other two didn't. And the rest has uh, been a rather prolonged history since then. Um, you know, I love politics. I love making things better for people. But... Quite frankly, at the moment, I'm finding it a real challenge, and I'm asking you in your prayers, pray for all of us, because we need to get something back up and running and fairly soon, because it is absolutely dispiriting. And I'm not a natural pessimist, but right now, I need all the prayers you can give us. Thank you very much, and apologies for being um, a, a wee bit late. Well, I think like the others, there was no big um, grand plan. I, I did grow up in a fairly political house. Um, my parents were SDLP activists, had been involved in the civil rights movement, and just a, as kind of ordinary members sticking stuff through doors. Um, my dad was in business, and my mum was a nurse, and my mum um, ran for election when I was in my late teens, which, of course, I was delighted about, as you can imagine. But um, uh, and uh, and I was I was interested. I was I was a, I was a political person, and we just had a, there was a culture of public service in the house, and just getting involved in stuff. You know, taking your turn in in in, in community organisations, in in school and church, and all of those different um, things. Um, but I, I I was enjoying my life and had a different um, career in in international development. I worked in the development charity concern for about ten years, and then just I suppose like. Like a lot of people, when I sort of approached 30, you do start to get more interested in exactly how things are working and how they're not working, and just uh, an opportunity came up, and then another one in the assembly, and then. But I wasn't. I'm not a mad. I mean, I love politics, and I, I love 
understanding how things work and how people work and 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 we were big believers in in i suppose the human vision of of working in the common ground and when i first ran for election in 2011 that wasn't really the dominant um the dominant value um in in northern irish um politics but it's sort of just you bounce from one thing to another. When I was elected to Parliament, I'd never in my life watched Prime Minister's Questions, for example. It was a very alien experience um, going in. A lot of the procedure I didn't uh, didn't get. But like, but like the others, there is some sort of a drive. I don't think anybody's in politics. We complain about it, but you know, it's quite a trial by fire to go through an election. So anybody who tells you they're absolutely in it didn't go through the... Uh, they weren't dragged through an election one way or the other. But as, as, as Steve said, it is, it is challenging. It's very rewarding as well, but it's... It, it, you can tell um, the value of it to people. People are disappointed in politics and politicians and that weighs um, very heavily on, on, on all of us, I think, who are participating in it. Sorry, I apologise for the mic situation. We'll maybe just go from here and pass back. Um, thank you all for that. I'm already uh, a bit convicted by your um, conviction and motivation and uh, just willingness to get involved despite the challenge. Um, I'm going to just draw on some uh, survey data. N you'll be familiar with it. Northern Ireland Young Life and Times. So they survey 16-year-olds um, in Northern Ireland and ask their views on a variety of different things. And I guess this is less a question and more I'm just asking for your reflections on um, two questions. And we have struck here, we have a councillor, we have MLAs, and we have MPs, so all different um, levels of government. When asked if Northern Ireland government generally does a good job, we had agree and strongly agree, 14%, 16-year-olds. Disagree and, yeah. <laughs> uh, disagree and strongly disagree was 53%. And then a high level of neutrals or don't knows, 34. Um, and then trust in local politicians to make the best decisions for Northern Ireland. Agree, strongly agree. Again, you might be surprised, 16%, fair. Disagree, strongly disagree, 41%, and neutral, 42%. And I guess I would love to hear your views on how you would seek to motivate younger generation in Northern Ireland, despite the current context, which you've al all acknowledged some level of frustration, and I'm sure people in the room could feel that too. Um, how, do we, how do we envision a younger generation to to have trust to to believe that government can deliver and to have ideas and to develop uh creativity to get involved what are your thoughts on that because the stats aren't great and there's clearly a level of apathy there as well yeah i mean i, s I suppose the 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 the, gut, the quick reaction is always when people say well delivery you know if you d if, if government does the things that are important in people's lives and that's that is absolutely crucial and at the moment um without a lot of the levers we can't do stuff and people maybe don't see um decent job opportunities or maybe they see a challenge of getting in the third level or whatever they're struggling to get um decent housing so yes delivery and responding but i think I think d where politics has been for the last year, few years, I think it's been honest with people about complexity as well, because I think across the world, and Northern Ireland is no exception, kind of populism and just giving quick, sharp, simple answers, black, white, green, orange, rather than saying, 
this is a complicated world, this is a complicated place, and sometimes the answer will be in the shades of grey. And I think um, that is the, the type of politics I was brought up with and um, believe in. It's not in fashion at the moment, where, where you, if you can't say it in three words, nobody really wants to, uh, nobody really wants to know. But I suppose, uh, can you, can you, I'll, I'll believe it more. Um, so, so, um, Oh, I'm sorry. My name's Claire Hanna. I'm um, the MP in South Belfast, and I'm Social Democratic in Labour Party. Apologies, thank you. The um, but yes, and and the question. So so one, it's about connecting um, politics to the things that are actually happening in people's lives. And I know um, when I was in the assembly or when I'm in schools, the questions young people are asking are just pair absolutely no relation to the stuff you would be talking about up in the hill and and even the bits and pieces um, of of legislation. And I think some of that's changing when there's a younger cohort of people getting involved in uh, in political parties. But um, I, 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 I think it's being honest with people about complexity and that um, slogans don't always fit the answer and that there's going to be um, compromises at, uh, at every single turn. I mean, the media and social media in particular, as we know, are dividing us into on every single issue on kind of cultural, social issues and economic issues, geopolitical issues are just forcing us down um, one of two tracks and I think politically we do have to kind of push back against that and and um, and, and not just kind of sometimes but you know you can go at the algorithm if I'm in parliament and I have a row with one of the DUP MPs and you put it on Twitter and you get 500 retweets but if you go and you make a nuanced point about give and take and you know it gets three likes or something you know there's a, there's a, the, the system isn't driving you to be um, consensual but that's probably where we need to go. Yeah. Um. I think one of the most dispiriting things you can do is go to the count after an election in Northern Ireland and you see them open the ballot boxes and you see that the biggest single party in Northern Ireland is the CBA party, which is the couldn't be, and I'll let you work out what the A is for. Well over, in some places, 50% of the people don't come out and vote. And I've now reached the stage now when anybody comes to me and I say to them, if they come to my office, I will listen to everybody. And I will say, you have an opinion. I will listen to it. Did you vote? And if the answer is no, I say, you don't have an opinion. Because you don't. Because you're not engaging with... We've gone too far down the democratic process here. Look, I sit in the Board of Christian Aid Ireland. I have served in some of the worst places in the world. And I know how precious something like democracy is. I know how precious it is for young people, for women, for all sorts of reasons. These are hard-won rights. And because of apathy, we decide to disengage. 50% of our people couldn't be bothered. You wonder why you've got the political system that you have in Northern Ireland? There's a question I have to throw back to you, is come out and vote and make those changes. Because if you don't vote to make the changes, you'll end up with what you've got. And what we have at the moment is a polarized political society with 50% of the people don't bother coming out, yet 50% of the people are constantly complaining about the services and everything else. If you don't vote, you don't have an opinion. So don't bother coming and complaining to me about what the state of the system is. And particularly when the rest of the world and what's going on in the world at the moment, and Claire talks about the issues of populism, all across the world at the moment, democracy is in retreat. And it's in retreat because 
there is violence, there is retreat because there is populism, it's in retreat because there's dictatorial approaches, there's all those sort of reasons. Democracy in Northern Ireland is in retreat here because we're apathetic. Let's ask us the question about what we should be doing about trying to make that better. And, you know, when you said 16%, I was surprised it was that high. Can't be that high. We need to get out and vote and make the changes. If we don't do it, we've already got ourselves to blame. Thanks. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. And um, if I'm totally honest, I probably wouldn't be surprised if you told me that at any time in Northern Ireland's democratic history, if you had taken a survey of 16-year-olds, that those were the answers. I mean, I certainly fell into that bracket when I was 16. Um, if, if I had have been asked at that time, I wasn't really engaged in, in politics. Um, I, you know, I, I had a very low opinion of, of politicians and politics at the time. But I think, um, I, and I, I don't say that in a, in a, from a point of complacency, because I still think there is, there's huge opportunity with, with our young people. And one of the, the, the starting points, I believe, is to encourage more young people to get involved. It was one of the things that um, was an encouragement for me to get involved, um, and you know, uh, probably one of one of my very few proud boasts of my term as mayor was that um, during that term, obviously it was it was the COVID years, so a lot of things were online. We had to do the the whole digital thing, but it was really encouraging actually to see our uh, dem demographic engagements with with the council uh, and with our uh, with our facebook pages and and, and twitter and whatever and whatever the demographic typically would be in the kind of 60 and above for people who would who would have engaged during covid it that completely switched to the 18 to 30 year olds so that was really encouraging um so yeah i think the the one thing i would say is, is trying to get more young people involved because someone said to me before that politics should be um, in an ideal world, a very cross-sectional view of what a community or society looks like. And so that means there should be men, there should be women, there should be retired people, there should be people who have maybe business experience, there should be young people, there should be disabled people. And so reflecting the, the, the community. And so that means, you know, when you have asking 16-year-olds of their opinion, we need more, uh, you know, 18-year-olds, as it would be, to represent them because that's what what politicians look like, you know, to the, to those sixteen year olds. So I think that would be um, a great start. I think Claire makes um, a number of very good points. Politics t uh, in today's society has very frustratingly become clickbaity, whereby um, you know good content about about policies, about you know what different parties want to do, uh, about very complex issues. It doesn't get the time of day. The media aren't interested in it. Um, and so the society that we have, and this isn't just in Northern Ireland, by the way, this is throughout Western politics. The society that we have now is that th those debates or those fiery exchanges or people arguing with each other or those kind of gotcha moments are what's actually generating uh, headlines at, at the minute. And when you have... Uh, 
private media companies who rely on revenue from clickbait. They rely on people clicking on what looks like a catchy headline. That then sets the narrative for politics, and it's no longer about what we need to do in education, what the state of our roads, about the health service. It's about, oh, what did X, Y, and Z say, or what did they get caught doing? You know, so I think that would be a good start for 16-year-olds as well, seeing much more positive politics in the media. Oh, hold on. Great cross party work there. How many politicians does it take to unravel a mic? Right, we're nearly there, we're nearly there. We still, we still have one wee bit left, but, but we'll go on. Um, when I reflect on that question, I go back to 15, 16 years ago. when I So I my very first youth work job was with Belfast YMCA. Um, I coordinated their youth and government project. Um, the two things that I heard most in my time as a political youth worker, small p, um, was number one, young people are the future. Drove me round the bend. When you say young people are the future, what you're saying is... You will be good when you're 18 or when you can vote. Or So what it does is it completely negates who they are and what they have to give now. So that was the first thing, is that I heard so many people come off of that, young people are the future. The second thing was young people are disengaged from politics. I, I, I don't agree. I think the politics disengage from young people. Um, so for me, I'm the uh, Alliance Party's spokesperson for children and young people. Obviously, natural fit, being a trained youth worker, I'm, that's my niche. Um, so I have tried to meet as many young people since I became an MLA. Um, it's where my comfort zone is, it's where I feel most at home. But I was at an event with Slemish College in Ballymena Integrated College. Um, the young people there had 50 questions for me when I walked in through the door. That's not young people being disengaged from politics. That's young people not having the chance to meet their politicians or to actually hold them to account. Um, I agree with what Steve said about getting out to vote, but 16-year-olds can't vote here. So that would be the one thing, is, and I've been campaigning for it as a youth worker and will continue to campaign for it for young people to have votes at 16. If they are mature enough to get a job, if they're mature enough to join the army, if they're mature enough to do all of these really big decisions that we're requiring young people to do, why are we not allowing them to actually have a say in who represents them? So that's the first thing I think would absolutely um, encourage. I see that as a real positive. That was one thing that would encourage. The younger you get young people actually into the habit of voting, the, the more involved they will be. That's, that's the way that I see it. Um, the second thing is at my last engagement, which was on Friday afternoon, was with the Northern Ireland Youth Assembly. If I was dispirited about the state of Northern Irish politics before I went in, oh my goodness, I left with a bee in my bonnet because they gave me hope. One young person, and I will forever remember this, and she said, when people in power don't stand up and show up for us, we'll show up for ourselves. And I just took that away thinking, oh my goodness me. So this group of young people, they weren't disengaged. They were really passionate about the things that actually impacted them, but they didn't have a voice. They didn't have a platform until the Northern Ireland Youth Assembly came along. So for me, what I'm going to really try to do, I, my North Antrim straddles two council areas, obviously Mid and East Antrim, which um, Peter's part of, and also Causeway Coast and Glens. I'm really going to fight for youth councils on both of those 
um, in both of those areas. There isn't one in Causeway Coast and Glens, and I think there has been, um, which has kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit in Mini Standroom. Giving young people a platform and not a tokenistic children's table at the wedding type of platform, somewhere that they can actually feed into legislative change at all levels of government. Um, so that that's where I'm coming at it as an MLA for the area. I, I want young people to be shaping what I'm working on um, because I can't speak for young people unless they're telling me what's important for them. So I think that's something. The trust in politicians, I don't blame them. You know, as that young woman said, they haven't shown up for us. They're having to show up for themselves. So I think that's that's something. That's that's all of our jobs is to try and rebuild that trust. So I'm gonna stand up. Here we go. We we did this on purpose to test cross party uh, coalition building <laughs> on the uh, teamwork. It's a team building exercise. And as Christians in politics, we operate cross party. We constantly bringing folks together from across the parties, uh, in, in in all all the parts of the the UK at the minute, and, and a little bit in in the south of Ireland as well. But uh, and one of the things we find is the biggest challenge to disagreeing well is is relationship building. Actually, you can't really disagree well. You can be more polite on social media, but you can't really disagree well unless you unless you build relationship. Unless, and we know in our part of the world here, that's been the gap, hasn't it? We just haven't been interacting with one another. We haven't been coming together. Um, so I, I wanted to try and practice a bit of disagreeing well this afternoon. But to disagree well, you actually have to disagree, not just be nice to each other all the time. So I'm going to sort of address the elephant in the room, if that's all right. I want to cast our minds forward to 2050. Right, and we're in 2023 at the minute. I want to cast your minds forward to 2050. What do you see? What do you see? What would you like to see? What do you see different to now? Because you've all expressed a frustration at the straitjacket that maybe you know Northern Ireland and its political you know organisation represents, and maybe even the straitjackets of your own parties. Perhaps I don't know. Um, but looking forward, there no, there are no rules. There are no rules. But looking forward to 2050, what would you like to see? for the politics of this country and this island? What would you like to see and the wider set of islands? What, what would you like to see for 2050? What would, what would be your passion? Just to be really honest. Is that all right? Can we cope with that? Great. Um, Shan, I don't want to go to you first because that seems unfair again. I'm going to go to Pete. I'm going to go Pete first. I was hoping to get all the answers there so I could say same as, uh, as no. Um, Again, another great question, and um, it's it's something that uh, I I have thought about often because when you look at a current system, and you say, right, this isn't good, and it's actually one of the things that we do in work. We if if you're coming forward with uh, a negative uh, point or a negative comment, or if we're doing a project and you have something negative to say, we try and have a policy that you have at least two ideas or two positive things to say to, to counteract that. So um, it's one of the reasons why I've thought of it. And for, for Northern Ireland, and, and even actually politics um, beyond that, I, I think we need to to, um, to dream big and to to really, uh, and I'm, I'm mindful of, of not straying too far here. Some of this may be personal opinion too, which um, I hope you can forgive. But I, I really think we need to, we need to dream big because at the minute, um, there was a survey done by Belfast Telegraph in April, and 70% of respondents said, and I can't remember the exact wording, but basically that the, for me, the type of that we have in Stormont, the type of government that we have as a result of the Good Friday Agreement do doesn't work. 
And I'm aware of um, two or three other countries that have mandatory um, coalition governments. And it just seems, um, I, I do a lot of work in Lebanon. They have a, a, a similar, they had the TIFE agreement. And you just have to look. I mean, I spoke with the ambassador of Lebanon not so long ago, and he said this should be a warning shot to Northern Ireland. You know, um, I, I really hope that come 2050, we have moved on to a system of government that isn't as polarized as it is today, that allows for um, uh, a much better way of, of, of governing and a much, a, a much more uh, representative way of, of governing. So it's, it's a... And so, Peter, I, I'm going to be provocative because with very little time. So how is that possible when you have parties that mostly just represent one of those polls and that party will continue to try and get people to vote for them? How, how can that be real? Because you're sitting there representing the DUP. How, how can that be real when you know, you're wanting to mostly just represent one of those polls but not wanting polarization? How, how does that work? What, what will you have to give away to make that true? If you, if you look at most uh, functioning de democra democracies, there, there's normally, uh, in a healthy democracy, you normally have two big parties. You normally have two kind of, uh, you think of America, it's a very s uh, similar. Even if, if you look at uh, mainland, you know, you've got the Conservatives and Labour. So, you know, I, I don't think that concept would be, would be too foreign. Um, for Northern Ireland, we have two kind of major identities being unionism and nationalism and you know for me I hope that um, obviously well the alliance uh, alliance is going to respectfully uh, disagree um, and maybe that's the thing you know let, let me, three you know I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to die in a ditch over but um, you know I think kind of uh, at the minute our institutions don't allow for for that I mean and you, you'll probably make that point too you know um, the 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 nature of our institutions don't allow for that, and so that I think is problematic. We won't make progress if if we if if we don't step away from that. Yeah, yep. yeah I mean, I think that we have been so so focused on the binary in Northern Ireland. This, if you fit into one box, then you can't fit into another. And for me, I think that as someone who grew up without a box, um, I found my tribe in the people who are boxless um, in the Alliance Party. So for me, definitely, and we are, you know, we're the the party that's grown the most over the last um, the last five years in terms of our representation. Um, and I think that, that that also echoes when you look at the census data and you look at those who are identifying more as Northern Irish, not th those binary options. So I do see us going from strength to strength. I see the Alliance Party absolutely moving. And I think because for me, and this is my own personal experience with my party, is that we are fairly representative of society in terms of the people who make up the party. We're not this homogenous group of people who all believe the same thing. You know, there's a very wide spectrum of belief, whether that is on the constitutional issue. There are some people who in my party would vote for United Ireland tomorrow. There are others who would vote to stay in Northern Ireland, or sorry, in the, the Union. Um, there are some who um, are agnostic on that and who would have to see, look at the data. And I think that that's, that's also okay. I, I do think that that's, I think there's, the people who are loudest are telling us that we have to get off the fence and have a position are the people who would never vote for us anyway, um, whether we took a position or otherwise. Um, what I say in 2050, I would, what I would hope for if I go for the John Lennon imagine aspect of things is a, a society where we have found a way to celebrate all of our cultures in a really safe and really respectful way. 
Um, and I think that yes, that is maybe a rose tinted lens, but I don't want there's 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 this um, like a myth around our party as well that we want everyone to be the same. We want us all to be a big melting pot of beige. Um, and for me, that couldn't be further from the truth. I want to be able to go to 11th night bonfires that are safe, without symbols of hate, without burning flags and election posters. I want to be able to go to that and share that with, with friends. I also want to go to you know, an All-Ireland game um, to watch, um, hopefully, County, uh, you know, County Antrim uh, win some form of... of <laughs> all right, all right. Listen, 1989 wasn't that far away, Claire. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so do you know? So that that's where I come from. I I want to be able to celebrate that. I want to be able to go to the mela. I want to be able to celebrate aid with my friends, um, from that that tradition. I think that that that's where my vision for Northern Ireland is, and that is where I work. So I don't work on the premise of a border poll or what tomorrow is going to look like or what next year is going to look like. For me, I want this place to work, no matter who governs us, no matter who's in charge. I want this place to work for us all, um regardless of names and language and boxes that we're all in. And maybe that is the John Lennon kind of view, bit rose-tinted glasses, but. Um, I used to run the UK government's Global Strategic Trends Programme, where we looked 30, 40 years out. And it was always known as the doom and gloom programme because it was always about what was going to go wrong with the world. Uh, I'm very hopeful for 2050. I'm very hopeful for a couple of reasons. One, I want to see Northern Ireland with about 2.5 million people in it. I want to see lots of young people in Northern Ireland. I want to see people from across the world in Northern Ireland. I think it's brilliant that over 12% of the population of Northern Ireland now comes from outside these island, this island. I want to see more and more people come here. I want us to see be an international center for AI, for life sciences, all those things that we're good at, but for some reason we just spend all our time being stuck in stovepipes. That's what I want to see a Northern Ireland government and Northern Ireland politicians do, make Northern Ireland work for every single one of us and make it to be a great place. But there's something else I want to be, and this I'm passionate about. By 2050, I want to see Northern Ireland truly net zero. I want us to be in the position where we're not contributing to carbon, but we're actually dealing with the climate emergency. Because the 2050 that you're all going to be living in is not going to be how you imagine it. It's going to be hotter. It's going to be more problems with severe weather. There's going to be more economic migrants and all the rest of it. But Northern Ireland and Ireland and the United Kingdom and the European Union, we can all be places that are places of sanctuary. And if we're really truthful about our Christian missionary and missions and what we're trying to do for all people, let's make this place a very welcoming place for 2050. And let's make it work for all of us. And I don't mean 1.8 million people. I mean 2.5 million people. You can do it. Crack on with it. Get on with it. I'll just lean in instead. Rather less chat about jetpacks and stuff than I was expecting about a 2050 um, uh, com conversation. But I, I think primarily the thing I want it to be is uh, reconciled and, and more socially just. And I think, I actually believe it will be because I think younger people increasingly, while very many do have strong views on, on sort of traditional political identities, um, as, as do I, I think they're identifying in different ways as an environmentalist or a feminist or a Christian or LGBT or different things that 
that I just don't think a lot of younger people identify with the nation state quite as much um, as, as maybe people of my generation or older. Um, I believe, and I'm saying this because it's true and because I wish it to be true and because we're trying to disagree well, I believe we'll be in a different place constitutionally. I believe that very strongly. I believe in a new Ireland and, and I'm working towards that fairly um, unashamedly. I think it, it, I think there's a lot of logic in it in terms of the economies of scale in, in delivering public services. And I think as we do do things like reformat health and education, we're you know, hitting the hard lines at, 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 a, at the border. It don't make a lot of sense. There's already bits and pieces of collaboration. And just in terms of my economic outlook as a, as a social democrat i just think that there are there are more opportunities and geopolitically whether we like it or not the world is reforming back into into, into blocks and i think the european um, union is the most constructive um, one so so that's that's what i believe and that's what i will work towards it won't it won't gut me if that's not where we are i'm not somebody who believes that's the only the only place you can practice the politics john hume talked about an agreed ireland i think we're in an agreed ireland right now because it's what we've agreed to and 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 that is the the core thing for me and i will always you know as somebody who lives and works and practices um in 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 northern ireland or the north you know that 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 region is where i will have my attachment but um that's uh, that's where i think we're going um one of the things that stuck with me most is actually Sammy Douglas, who's a DUP councillor, and he said it in an interview as a, as a former DUP councillor at the time. He said, you know, I, I'm not uncomfortable with the concept of a new Ireland. I'm just really worried about the decade that would lead up to it. And that's sort of the way I feel as well. I, I worry about how we ourselves will um, will handle the discussion, which is why I see part of my political role, so long as I'm involved in politics and have a mandate to do so, is to try and just pace the conversation and maybe hold the reins when it gets too fast and sometimes it does get too fast but that's that's um that's where i think we'll be but the the, the primary uh, definition for me is that it will be reconciled and that it'll be socially just are we good i'm not hurting anybody okay um we're actually quite pushed for time but i would love to get some questions from the room if there are any don't have long, so we're going to just dwell for questions in the room. Yes, excellent. Okay. Uh, let me take, can I take, yes, gent in the red and then in the green, we'll maybe take three and then, yeah? Uh, sorry, I'll, I'll try to be quick, but um, I'm a, a unionist, but I really struggle to vote for unionist parties because of the way they so strongly um, pronounce their Christian, well, I, I believe correct, Christian beliefs. But uh, Rachel Gardner was here over the last few days, and she spoke about Zacchaeus, and she said a really, really powerful line to me, which, well, to everyone, but it really struck me. She said, um, Jesus's acceptance of Zacchaeus led to Zacchaeus's repentance and i believe that the dup and other well a lot of politicians they so explicitly speak about lgbt um issues and tie it to the bible and they're not accepting at all and that's turning so many people away from the church you know at, at pride last year the, the route was several miles long and there was maybe a dozen protestant ministers and preachers standing on boxes preaching about eternal damnation and about sin, but outside St. Anne's Cathedral, there was a table with a sign that said, all are welcome at God's table, and they were handing out communion. And I just want, I just want to ask, 
what do you think would engage LGBT people uh, with the church more? Telling them they're going to burn in hell or welcoming them in? Because I, I understand that that opinion is correct according to the Bible, but we want people to love Jesus and be with Jesus, and we can't get them in the door if you're telling them they're going to burn in hell. So what's, what's your opinion on that? We'll take a few questions, folks, and then and we'll we'll answer the you know we'll answer them on mass if that's all right. Uh, this is a bit of a big one, but um, what would you say your solution is to the public sector uh, crisis um, and its crisis with funding? And we'll take one more, one more to throw in there. Some countries like Switzerland have like kind of a direct democracy. Oh, some countries like Switzerland have kind of direct democracy in some issues where people can raise an issue with a petition. And I'm wondering if something like that would get young people more involved, maybe, or people generally on some issues like that are yeah, uh, I'll take the the first question and and thanks for asking it. So, uh, uh, ironically, um, the the guy you were talking about uh, who was giving out communion—that's my. Uh, uh, old Pastor Steve, um, and uh, he, he, he would have done that every year. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a bit of... I'm not going to shy away from the fact that the DUP have come from a, uh, a past where some of our elected representatives will have said stuff that certainly won't have been um, very welcoming or, um, in my opinion, in some uh, a lot of cases, not very uh, Christ-like. And um, I... I there's a there's also a bit of a myth with the DUP as well that that a stance on LGBT is a party policy or you know that it's and the the thing is it, it never has been a party policy it's never been in a manifesto um, and it, it's it's certainly not part of our, our party rule books and actually um, I was delighted to see we we had uh, Alison Bennington I think she actually topped the poll who uh, was a as um, a an openly gay uh, DUP councillor in Glengormley. Now, the, your question on how then that kind of relates to uh, the church and, and, and politics, I, I, um, I take a, a very unashamed view that, yes, people from that community are absolutely welcome. They're welcome in, in the DUP. They're, they are welcome in church. Um, and, and I think I would go beyond the word welcome but because the, uh, it should actually be... Uh, an affirming place as well, where people can feel that they can um, worship with with that identity. Um, so that that's my, uh, hopefully a, a, an answer to your question. Happy to chat to you about it after as well. If you've any if you have any other question, but I'll uh, I'll leave the big civil service stuff and budgets to anyone else who wants to take that. I didn't know you were going to say that one. Uh, a couple of ones. First one on the issue of LBGQ, LBGTQ rights. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, everybody's welcome in the Ulster Unionist Party. Everybody should be welcome. And God is a God of love. So he doesn't exclude anybody. That, to me, that's it. I wouldn't be in politics if I wasn't allowed to campaign on LGBTQ issues, on issues to do with marriage equality, and also issues to do with women's rights. I wouldn't be a politician. I made that abundantly clear. And I've stood on that platform in South Antrim, oh, I can't remember how many times I've been elected, four times, and I've, that's been by line every single time. On money, uh, we're going to have to seriously think about how we're going to raise some funds ourselves. 
The reality is at the fiscal floor as it, nor it sits at the moment, I know it sounds like a technical term, but it's been assessed by the Fiscal Council, who we set up to be the independent arbiters, to be exactly about the right place. We have to be very cautious about saying that we need more and more money, because actually, quite frankly, over the last two decades, we've been abysmal at spending it. Absolutely atrocious. How come we've got five health trusts? I have forgotten the number of educational trusts we have at the moment. We need one education system, one health system. We need to be serious about what we're talking about, water infrastructure, and that's really going to make some difficult decisions and the rest of it. And for all your students, we export a third of our students every year to England, Scotland, and Wales, and we pay tuition fees of between nine and ten thousand pounds for those kids when they go there. Here, our universities are absolutely starved of funds, and there's a student cap, but our tuition fee is down at four and a half thousand pounds. There's something fundamentally wrong with that. That's something we're going to have to fix, and that's going to make really difficult decisions, which is probably the reason why they're not going to make me the finance minister if we ever come back. Oh, sorry, on sir, representative democracy. We've got one. Just get out and vote. Thank you very much. Um, three really interesting questions, and um, thanks. And thank you to Peter for a very, very thoughtful answer. And I think we do caricature each other in, in, in politics, and I think there are certainly members of your party that lean into that caricature, but it is really encouraging. I just believe that so many people are in politics for the right reasons and have more complex views, and, and I'm, I'm really glad to hear them, and I know you're not um, on your own in that. And I say this as somebody who um, was, was brought up, as, as you probably uh, imagine, in the Catholic faith, um, so of the most genuinely the most progressive and forward-thinking people I know are now act, are, are active in, in different churches and in fact many from the faith I grew up in have found um, a, a home um, in a different denomination and are doing really the most meaningful work that I've seen in terms of reconciliation and cross-community and just meeting people where they are and the most um, the most deep work in uh, in anti-poverty and I know in things like I mean in pride which I walk in every year you'll see loads of different church groups as well trying to trying to counteract that but I suppose again in politics the ultras on on various different sides kind of ruin it for everybody else like for people like me who believe in a in a in a new Ireland through through consent and reconciliation and who are wedded entirely to non-violence then you have the up the rah critters you know that just and I think that's 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 the problem so many um, wholesome ideas that are uh, that are uh, that are derailed on on the on the public finances, which are in, in in a truly in a really bad place. And anybody working in public services will know that. And it is going to be a, a combination of reform and and Steve has touched on some of them around health and things that we know uh, we need to do. And the trusts uh, being among them. Um, there is an issue with our financing model, though. We do we have genuinely suffered from austerity, and austerity is the prioritisation of, of lowering or paying down public de debt over absolutely everything else and we are genuinely storing up problems. A lot of what we're doing in this budget is penny wise and pound foolish because it's going to just pop up other issues in people's health and in education for many years to come but is it, it is a genuine um, it is it is a, a fiscally responsible to invest to save in things that um, again Steve has touched on like skills. I mean there's, 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 a, there's an economy trying to burst out here 
in, in a lot of you know tech and cybersecurity and life sciences and, and, and really interesting uh, areas, but they literally can't get um, the workers. We're not investing enough in skills. And then there are infrastructure problems where you know people maybe in this part of the world either can't get into Belfast fast enough or maybe don't have the digital infrastructure. So if we don't, if we just keep cutting and pasting and reducing um, the, 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 the budget, we're not going to address any of those uh, any of those things. So it's a combination of, of yes, revenue raising, reforming in a substantial way, in a brave way, but it is also going to cost more money to do things uh, properly. On the direct democracy, I'm obviously about big believer in representative democracy but I think there's a lot more we can do in kind of deliberative formats you know like n citizens assemblies become a bit of a bit, bit of a cliche at the moment but there are really good ways of getting representative groups to really hook into an issue um, for days and, and, and that can again provide solutions that sort of unlock some of the political um, deadlock so I don't believe in it as an alternative to, to the representative democracy um, that we've got at, at numerous levels but there's loads of stuff just because democracy isn't just showing up to vote once every four years or once every year as it seems at the moment here but um it, it is about people finding ways to participate all along and whether that's being able to engage in the council meeting or in a youth council or um you know they're doing things like participatory budgeting um so ways that we can just entice people but i think that the as they say about democracy it's it's a terrible system but it's better than all the alternatives yeah i kind of wish i'd went before claire <laughs> What she said, can I say that, what she said? Um, do, do, I suppose building on some of what Claire said in terms of our financial position, I think that we have been a victim of duplication for decades. Um, we have multiple education um, duplicities. We have schools miles apart, like a mile apart with two principals, two vice principals. The canteen is the same, the two different methods of transport. So that's one element of it. The health trust and the education trust as someone, again, I come back to my youth work experience, um, who came and saw the education library boards move to the education authority with input from the Department of Education, again, duplication. Um, I just think that we, as I say, we've been a victim of having these systems that have been set up to keep us in our silos. Um, and I think that there's so much reform and so much potential that can be there if, again, we look to 2050 and we can get to a point where we can actually properly work together and we can try and make a united community that we don't need that duplication. The other issue that we have is that we are hemorrhaging really good people who are either moving out of their industries because of a lack of investment or they're moving to other regions because they get paid more. Pay parity is one of the biggest issues and one of the biggest reasons that we, um, again, are, are just, we're, we're losing really good people from Northern Ireland because they can be paid twice as much over the border or three times as much in Scotland or, or England and Wales. So that's, that's the other issue. And again, that invest-to-save model, we can't, I don't think that we can get to a point where we are, um, fiscally in a better place if we don't actually invest now. I think that cutting all of, if I look at uh, what my, obviously my remit being education, if we look at all the cuts that are happening in education, that's pushing the problem tenfold down the line, whether it's going to be mental health services, health services, justice system, you name it, we are going to end up with a lot more problems down the line if we're not investing right now. So that that's the other thing in terms of I mean, I am a big believer in the engagement of um, of citizens with their politicians. So for me, I'd love to see some kind of um, formal process where people can actually feed back in. And 
again, get what you're saying, Steve, in terms of voting, but I, I think that's a one-way thing for me. That's you putting an X or a one on a ballot paper. That's not you hearing back and then, you know, that, that conversation. I think that I would love to see more formal ways of these conversations happening between those who represent and those who are represented. Um, and then finally, in terms of the LGBT stuff, I've spent most of my weekend, and I'll be really honest with you, and I don't think I'm breaking any conferences, I spent most of the weekend dealing with the PSNI about a... A colleague of mine who is homosexual, who has been targeted in the most horrific way, um, just because he's gay and because he's an elected representative. And that's what my weekend's been spent doing. It's been spent looking at different ways that I can, first of all, support that person, but second of all, get things removed from social media that's accusing him of child sexual abuse, that's accusing him of being a deviant or a paedophile. That's what I've spent most of my weekend doing, just because of him doing his job. And I think that doesn't that doesn't come out of a vacuum. These conversations that have been happening, I think, and you only have to look Thursday night, we had two devices left at my colleagues' doors. Um, again, just because one was an ally and one was homosexual. Um, so I just think that there are conversations that could be happening with more responsibility. And I really appreciate what you said, Peter. I think, again, what Claire said about the caricature of, of our parties. Um, but some people do lean into that, and it isn't just your party. It, you know, I just think that we particularly as politicians, we have a responsibility. And I think that there are some who need to understand that words have consequences and their words, and sometimes their lack of words and their lack of condemnation have absolute consequences that are life-changing for people. And the other thing that we come back to at the very start is politicians are human. Um, we go home to our families as well. Um, yes, we do a job and yes, we have to be accountable, but I don't think anybody deserves to be attacked because of their political beliefs or because of who they are. Um, but when I have someone on the phone who's telling me, I just wish I wasn't gay because it would make being a counsellor so much easier, that's not right. It's not right. And we all have a responsibility, both as citizens and as politicians, to try and challenge that narrative. So my hope would be, because I mean, I came up from a household that was very inclusive um, in our, in our um, family faith, very inclusive. Um, and those that I know with a very strong Christian faith, again, follow the loving God, the Jesus accepted everyone and come, you know, th that, that's the God that I know and that's the God that I worship. Um, so I suppose that's what I would like to see more of. Thanks so much, Sean. Folks, can we give a huge round of applause to everybody that's given for... I think... Um, Speaking, I th hopefully you can hear from the warmth of that applause, folks, how you've impacted and how you've spoken from the heart. I just want to say thank you for how you've done that so, so well. But I've got a really important question because it's very easy for these sessions to become, you know, question time. And when we do Christians in politics events, we try to say, look, it's as much, it's less question time and more altar call. This is actually about what you guys are going to do, not what these guys are going to do. <laughs> this is actually about what's going on and what, how you might be being called, how you might be being nudged, how you might be being inspired to be those people who, who actually get involved. So I want to do a quick survey, if that's all right. Can, I, can you put your hand up if, after what you've heard this afternoon, you would consider getting actively engaged in politics? And just put your hand up high. It's nothing to be ashamed about. It's like, okay. And then... Um, and that's, that's, that's a few people. That's a few people. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, there's 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 a bit of a bit of a questioning. Well, listen, the the resources on the Christians of Politics website are there. The videos, all the resources are there to help you do that. To help you do that in community with other people who are going to walk that journey because it is a tough journey, and so that's why we're there to help support people on that journey because it's a desperately challenging job that you get very little thanks for and we need we need communities of support for the folks like these guys who are serving who are picking up the towel and serving i'm reminded of that that verse in the bible where it says that jesus suddenly knew that he had all power from above he had all power he you know imagine realizing that you had all the power in the world and if i knew i suddenly realized i had that power i think i'd want to do some damage with it pretty quickly i'd want to do some damage i'd want to change some things i'd want to bring some justice if i realized i had all the power in the world and um but the second half of that verse is realizing that he had all the power in the world he picked up a towel and he started to wash people's feet. And I feel like it's incredible. I think you guys have given an amazing example by your service and what you're doing, your lives, and how you've shared this afternoon, that your preparation to do that sacrifice of serving. And, and I want to pray that there is more of that sacrifice, there's more of that giving away in our politics here in the next 27 years <laughs> that we just talked about. Because um, there is something about power that is toxic and corrupting, and the giving of it away is a profound thing. And so if we get involved, I'm going to pray that we can get involved in that way. And I'm going to leave the final word to Lisa. I just, uh, on a final word, just want to pray for you guys and bless us and bless our our land and all its difficulties and potential. Um, so, Lord, I just I want to thank you um, for the opportunity to hear from Claire and Steve and Pete and Shan. And I thank you for the, the people they are and the service that they give to this place. Lord, I thank you for how you've led them and brought them to where they are. And we just pray your blessing on them, God. Would you would you strengthen them for the the uh, role that they have as representatives? Would you give them grace and wisdom in all that they're doing, Lord? Um, and Father, we do pray for Northern Ireland. We pray that you would uh, bless this place, prosper it, God, um, and that you would bring breakthrough where there needs to be breakthrough. And would you help us reconcile what needs reconciled, Lord? And would you um, enable our society and our people to flourish? In your name we trust and pray. Amen. Yeah, thanks for coming, guys.